0: Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is borderline overwhelming how much there is to talk about on this Monday afternoon. Paris Masters was a great success, semi final between Federer, Djokovic, Instant Classic, and then a new rising star. Ending Djokovic's 22-match win streak, Karen Hachinov, um winning the final. Djokovic securing the year-end number one, though, because Nadal has pulled out of the ATP finals. That news broke just a few hours ago, uh, which means also Djokovic has actually tied Federer um, for how many times he's finished year, uh, year-end number one. They've both finished year-end number one five times. So that's something interesting as well. Um, I want to get into both those matches pretty pretty in depth because uh, there's there's plenty to talk about on that front and then we'll look ahead a little bit to the next gen ATP finals is that what they're calling it? I guess I guess it's the next gen finals I don't know exactly how they're marketing it but Milan Italy eight players interesting experimental uh, rules which we'll kind of go over here. Um, and then a, a an early a very early look at the ATP Finals um, at the very end. Let's do this, folks. Let's start with uh, Federer and Djokovic. It was a lot closer than Cincinnati. Federer was was right in it, uh, but Djokovic was very mentally strong throughout and very steady throughout, and got the better of two tie breaks. Uh, was the better man in the first in in the first set tiebreak, which uh, Federer actually had a set point in. Djokovic did quite well to save it, and we're going to take a look at that set point in just a little bit. Um, in the third set tiebreak, it was sort of a stinker by Roger Federer, and uh, Djokovic pretty much blew him out uh, the final, and that one was seven three. But the second set, Federer did win seven five. Um, I think that a lot of people a lot of people's takeaways from that was basically oh wow, Federer is is still here. Uh, Federer is right there. Um, and I'd say, for the most part, uh, Federer was right there. I think the difference is, when it came down to it, Djokovic is in a better place mentally when it counts. Federer's game was at a certain level, and his game changed in the tie breaks. Federer's game changed in the tiebreaks. Novak's game stayed the same. Novak has been battling the flu. Um, I thought he he looked pretty good in the semifinal from an energy perspective. He didn't look too tired. Um, it was a night match, and uh, he was able to maintain. Uh, he was able to fight hard and maintain a pretty constant energy level throughout. But once again, I thought the, the difference was mental here. The difference was that Djokovic could play his game regardless of the situation, whereas Federer's game changed and shrunk in the big moment. And I think the main place you could see that is his forehand. There's a few things tactically I want to talk about, but we'll just start here with Roger Federer's forehand. I have um, screenshots of one point, and then I have a video clip of another. Um, So let's take a look at our thumbnail. It's Karen Hatchinov, the 22-year-old Russian, winning his first ATP Masters title. He's 4-0 in ATP finals. Unbelievable, Karen Hatchinov. Okay. So we're going to start here. Uh, Feder just served it out wide. Djokovic hit a ret- hit a um, a pretty solid return, but but Feder is going to do pretty well here with Djokovic somewhat out of position to hit a very strong backhand. Look at that! It lands almost on the baseline. Djokovic needs to take it right off the ground and just kind of dig it up. There's not a lot of pace on this next ball from Djokovic. It's very attackable, and I could this would be. Um, Better shown in video, and for the next point I'm going to show you, it will be video, but this ball was very attackable, and you can kind of tell from the screenshot, Fetter is getting a forehand from the middle of the court that he's able to step into, set up for, he's got plenty of time, and really, Federer should be doing damage on this ball, and look, he's up 2-0 in the tie break, already up a mini break, and he rolls it in. He hits it in the service line. It's not close to the line. It's not heavy. It's not fast. It is nothing. Federer has a forehand that he can do damage with. And instead, what does he do? He trades it where it's bad tactics. It's bad. It it shows a lack of conviction. It shows a lot of, it shows a lack of confidence. Federer needed to pound this forehand. He didn't. Djokovic gets to set up. He closes his stance Gets to, gets to hit a pretty solid, deep um, forehand. Now, there's no reason Federer misses this shot, but Federer hits this next backhand long. So a lot of people will say, ooh, the backhand. That's That was the issue there. Well, what about the forehand on the shot before where he should have done damage? Now let's take a look at this set point. I have this in a video for you. It's not the full point, but I start, I pick up where it matters. Federer hits a really strong backhand here. And the, the pace is so fast that I can barely catch up to it. But if you look at Federer on the second, uh, the second shot of this rally, right here, boom. It's a really good backhand. And he, he draws a short ball from Djokovic on the next ball. Now, it's this forehand coming up. I'll tell you when it is. This forehand, it's a short forehand right now. That's, he's got to do more with that. And there's the opportunity. There's the opportunity, and by the way, I I I this is um set point against Federer, on the set point for Federer it was a shanked backhand, but Federer didn't really have any ball that stuck out to me as a ball he could have attacked, but here, uh it's on serve six seven and Federer has that mid court forehand that I think throughout the match he did really pretty well with it was in the big moments where he couldn't muster the self-belief and the confidence to really hit that shot. And to me, that's where he lost this first set tiebreak. If you're a Federer fan, that's where you sh- you should look at the first set tiebreak and the way that played out and that's where you're a little bit upset. But for the rest of the match, Federer did really well. Let's talk a little bit a, a bit about that for a second. Um what Federer uh, one thing that I thought Federer did really well was trade his backhand down the line. Hit over his backhand down the line. There there's two two points I want to make about his backhand. One, Federer needs to be very very stubborn, which he's sometimes when, when he's sometimes good at sometimes not good, good at. He he cannot um rally backhand to backhand with with Djokovic. He needs to kind of he needs to be very stubborn about avoiding that pattern, and I think in this match he was. Federer is is very proud and doesn't like to change his tactics up for his for his opponents. It is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing against almost everyone else. Sometimes against Djokovic, it can be a curse. He did very well to hit his to hit his uh, his uh, backhand down the line, um, very often. And to kind of avoid that backhand, that topspin backhand, especially cross court, where he's really going to be outdueled by Djokovic backhand to backhand almost every time. And when he hits it down the line, he puts Djokovic in a position where there's not much angle to change direction. I mean, Djokovic, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't open up many angles there. Um, If, as long as Federer is recovered in the middle of the court, because when you go line, there's a little bit less time to recover. It could open up the the forehand cross court, which Djokovic hits pretty well. He can go hard to Federer's forehand and force Federer to hit a running forehand. Um, But in general, it's just a much better pattern for Federer. So that was really good. The other thing with his backhand is he was mixing up um, chip and drive really well, which I like. And some people get upset with him for chipping too much. And against some opponents, it's bad. Against Nadal, it's terrible. Never chip. Against Djokovic, I think it's a good thing. Um, you can't do it too many times in a row, obviously, because then Djokovic can really settle in and kind of dictate off of it. The other thing is you need to make sure that when... when what Federer needs to make sure that when he's chipping the ball, that Djokovic isn't running around and hitting forehands. But what I like about Federer mixing up the pace is, one, it drew some errors, which it should do. Tennis players need timing and rhythm, and when you really mix up the pace between the between the really slow, you know, 70 mile per hour, maybe even less, sometimes like 65 mile per hour um, slice, and the maybe closer to 85 mile per hour topspin backhands. It's tough to time the ball all of a sudden when, when, when the pace is getting mixed up. But more importantly, you can't let Djokovic settle back behind the baseline. You need to keep him honest. You need to keep him close. If you keep him close, now you can hit it by him with a big forehand. Now Federer can use his, can, can use his forehand and do some damage or his backhand. But the point is, Djokovic is too fast. If you let him settle in a good defensive position... Seven feet behind the baseline, maybe. It's going to be too hard to hit it by him. He's too fast. He defends too well. So that's why I like the chip to keep Novak close to the baseline um, and to also mix up paces. I like it. I think it was good. Federer did that well. Um, okay, one thing that Federer did very poorly. He did not attack the second serve. Uh, he only won 24% of second serve points. Um and that is that just can't happen and there he shouldn't have used the chip he used it too much you got to put more pressure on novak's second serve um and and mostly it's the backhand return and Federer was chipping a lot of backhand returns. In fact, Djokovic at 6-all in the first set tiebreak hit a very slow second serve to Federer's backhand. And this time, he he chipped it right into the net at 6-all. And that was a super costly miss. Because Djokovic, I thought it was a nervous second serve. Very, very slow. It was in kilometers, so I'm not sure exactly how many miles per hour it was. But it was slow. And, and Federer missed the return. That was a big problem. But even when Federer made that chip return, in this case, Djokovic just served. So you don't need to bring him in. The chip isn't effective in, in this. It isn't as effective, at least, in this scenario. Put some pressure. Now you have Djokovic inside the court. Hit it right back at his feet. Um, you know, you you need to put more pressure um, with the backhand return. So I think that that's one thing that, honestly, just in this offseason, Federer needs to focus on the backhand return because it hasn't been good enough this this year. That's definitely one thing he's got to focus on. Um, Let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's move on to the final. And it's back, guys. This is an espresso mug, and it's back. And it's delicious. That's wonderful espresso. That was funny last time um, in the comments. So, Federer couldn't beat Djokovic in the semifinal, but it's quite likely he beat him in the final. Because before I get into Karen Hatchinoff, and trust me, I am going to give him all the love in the world. Djokovic looked tired. Especially in the second set, he kind of and I'm, I'm I like to be careful about this, I don't like to say this, but I think it's fair to say he wasn't fighting as hard as he normally fights. And I don't think that would have happened in a major, and I don't think that would have happened if he didn't have the flu, and I don't think that would have happened if Roger Federer hadn't pushed him for was it nearly three hours the night before. Um, it's not surprising that a less than 100% Novak Djokovic couldn't get it done against a red-hot Karen Hachinov on an indoor hardcourt. This guy's game is huge. He's blossomed here in the second half of 2018, and he is special. He is very special. I am all in. The serve is huge. The backhand wing is rock-solid in every way, and not only is it a shot that he can step in and do damage with, it's also a shot. God, he can defend well on that backhand side and why? It's the open stance backhand and he can hit open stance backhands on the run down the line. I mean, that is a shot that not a lot of guys on tour can hit and he's 6 foot 6 hitting that shot. Unbelievable. He is a he is one of the better athletes for 6 foot 6, kind of like a uh you know, his movement is kind of on par with like a Daniil Medvedev. Who who we've um, seen have a lot of success at six foot six, moving really, really well. You know, Chilich Del Potro, honestly, he's probably a better mover. He probably will be a better mover than Chilich and Del Potro. I think he is. Um. And then the forehand is a shot that maybe could be attacked, but the only way it's attacked is if you get him on the run, if you if you put him under stress. When Hatchinov hits a big first serve and he had Djokovic chipping returns, one of the greatest, the greatest returner of all time, chipping returns. That's how you know his serve is big. When you give Hatchinov time to set up and measure the forehand, it's a tremendous shot where he's able to really put it where he wants it and he's got gets so much RPM with the full Western grip, which a lot of people are really concerned about. If it works, it works, guys. I mean, there's no rule against. There's no rule that says extreme Western grips can't be successful on tour. So I don't know where this narrative is that that Hachinov is doomed because of his forehand grip. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, You know, if it works, it works. And for the most part, it works. When he gets set up on that forehand, he can do major damage. It's not as good under distress as the backhand, but it's still a really good shot. I haven't seen a guy... Like... When I envision Hatchinov, I kind of say, "Okay, what do we have here? Let's compare him to Del Potro because that's the prototype. You can compare him to Zverev, Del Potro, the 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 model of player. It's not like you're Murray, Djokovic, Nadal, where you know you have a smaller smaller players who have elite quickness, unreal consistency, kind of closer to average serves, um, just kind of all around." Uh, you know good ball striking from both wings but but it's he's he's he his game is bigger and more offensively minded than those guys so who should we compare him to let's compare him to Zverev and let's compare him to Del Potro well his game's a lot bigger than Zverev's his serve is bigger his forehand is bigger and his backhand maybe it's not bigger but he he goes for more on it so in function, it is bigger. Okay, what about Del Potro? Hatchinov's serve is bigger. Um, his forehand isn't. But his backhand's better. Here's the difference. I think Hatchinov's a better defender than all these guys. And that's where I think that maybe, for the first time, down the road, we can see Hatchinov have um, kind of... We can see this prototype. Let's put it this way. Six foot six, big serve, good mover. Big hitter off the ground. We've never seen one a, a guy like that win multiple majors. Marit Safin didn't do it. Del Potro, he's only got one. Zverev hasn't broken through. Chilich only has one. So For some reason, these guys have always been second tier, behind the big four. The way I think is, how could Hachinov possibly separate himself? Well, to me, it's the defense. Frame by frame, here is break point at 5-all against Novak Djokovic. Look how he wins this point. Djokovic steps in, he's got a, a backhand, and because of how he's able to set himself up with time and space here, kind of a weak incoming ball, and he's outside the singles alley. He's got a lot of angle, So he hits this aggressive, and hatchinov takes a hand off the racket and, and hits a defensive slice. Okay, on the defense now, Djokovic has a forehand. He has hatchinov kind of out of position. Weak incoming ball. Djokovic still attacking. He goes down the line, and hatchinov squash forehand. He's hanging into the point by a thread now. Um... Now Djokovic has a super weak incoming ball. He's inside the baseline. This should kind of be the finishing shot for Djokovic. He steps in. He's inside the baseline. He's going to hit this inside out. And this time, Hatchinov gets there in time. And he hits the shot that, to me, jumps off the screen. The, um, The open stance backhand. And he hits this down the line and makes Djokovic try to hit a half volley off the ground. And this volley by Novak goes into the net, and there's the break. Defense, 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 defense. And a six foot six guy who serves 135 and hits big off both wings is winning a point on Novak Djokovic. Break point with nothing but defense. Are you kidding me? That is incredible, folks. That is incredible. So congratulations to Hachinov. I'm all in. Um, and that's all. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. In terms of uh, Zverev, real quick. He, Zverev bloomed quicker than these guys. There's no argument around that. There is nothing that you can say other than Sasha Zverev has held a lengthy lead over all the next, excuse me, over all the next geners, and that that lead still exists. But when it comes to skill set and assets, there is very little you can tell me about Sasha Zverev's skill set that suggests that Karen Hatchinov cannot be better and that Stefano's Tsitsipas cannot be better. And ultimately, this guy's further away that Felix oge Aliassim can't be better. So we'll see. These guys have more improvement to do. And I'm a little bit, you know, it's 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 tough to talk about Sasha right now because he he maybe he just had a down year and he's gonna kind of break out to an even greater extent next year. And mind you, he had a down year and he won a Masters at 21. So it's an interesting position we are here on the tour Um, for now. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, they're still here. (laughs) They're still ruling the game. Um, But to ignore this next generation coming up would, would be a disservice to anyone. To everyone, rather. Let's talk about the next gen finals real quick. Uh these, it's starting in a day. These are the groups. TC Pass, TFO. Her, uh, to be honest, the, the the Polish guy, I I haven't seen him play yet. Um, but maybe it's pronounced Hubert Herkacz. I'm not sure. Uh Hame Munar, I have watched him, and, and this guy's a, a real certified grinder. Alex De Menor, Taylor Fritz, Andre Rublev, and then the other guy, the second guy I haven't seen play, is Liam, uh, maybe it's Sarawana, Car Caruana, I'm not sure. Um, but this is, to me, this is Tsitsipas' Toulouse. On an indoor hardcourt, he's got a bigger game than these guys. I like D and Rublev in Group B, but at the end of the day, I don't. I don't think D game is really suited for indoor hardcourt. I think that he can get pushed around if 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 he ends up playing Pass. I think Pass can bully him around the court quite a bit and um, to a, a pretty good degree of success. Um, and Rublev, I would say, is the second contender after pass. Um but I think it's TT Passes to lose and I'm just I'm kind of feeling like like he gets this done and and wins this event. Um let's talk quickly about what they're doing here at this tournament with innovation. The first thing is the scoring. They did this last year. Um it's best of 5 to 4 games. So uh what I want to do ...is not give my opinion on all of this. But I actually couldn't watch last year. I could not watch this event last year. So I kind of come in here with a fresh perspective on a lot of this. And next week, I'm going to address all of these experiments... ...and tell you guys what I thought. Electronic line calling. So it's Hawkeye Live. There's no lines judges. I kind of like this is, is, is my gut. I think I'm going to like this is what I mean... And uh, coaching. Players can communicate with their coaches after each set. And they're going to use a headset. And they're going to talk like it's on the phone. And I believe we'll be able to hear that on the broadcast. I imagine that's the only reason you would do it. Um, so we'll see what happens there. ATP Finals is next week. The groups are out. Djokovic, Zverev, Chilich, and Isner in one group. Feder, Anderson, team, and Nishikori in the other. Nadal pulled out. That means Isner is the lucky loser. I'm I'm really happy for John um, because I think the long Wimbledon match really hurt him. And I thought that maybe he would have gotten in without help if not for that long degrading um, – degrading. Is that not – that's not the right word. Um, draining maybe is a better word. That draining Wimbledon semifinal match that really took it out of him um, for the summer leading up to the U.S. Open. Um I've said this all year. I would not want to play twenty eighteen John Isner. Twenty eighteen John Isner was not a fun guy to play, so I, I really think he deserves to be in there. And um, I'm bummed to see Rafa out um, because, of course, it would have been more interested, more interesting with him in the tournament. But I'm also gl- uh, happy for John. In Djokovic's group, I think Chilich is the guy who you got to watch out for. Um, and in Hewitt's group, it's less clear, but you got to think Federer or Anderson. Fetter should be getting, I mean, he's got the week off, but uh, weariness is a bit of a concern. Uh, I do think that Fetter probably comes out of, of the Hewitt group, but you know, I'm almost feeling Marin Chilich to break through here and win this thing. I think Marin Cilic wins. This is my early um, is my early read on it. Um, because it's in two weeks, I don't want to go into into much more depth than that. And if I'm still feeling Cilic uh, next week on Monday, I'll get into why. But those are my early feelings. Because there's not much um, because there's not much to talk about. There won't be much to talk about, uh, rather, next week with anything other than this next-gen event. Um, This comment section, I want everyone to be aware, will likely turn into comment response next week. So send me your questions, um, ask me about anything, anybody. It can be about the tour, it can be about tennis in general, it can be about anything. Next week will likely be a lot of comment response. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow me on Twitter, at Gil Gross. Like and subscribe on iTunes. That link is in the description. I will see you next time.